I was just thinking as we were singing, I hope that the songs that we sing uh, take you to God's word, that they remind you of the scripture that you know is true. Songs aren't true. God's word are true. God's word is true, but the songs are a tool. And oftentimes the songwriters use the songs um, to point us to the word. I was thinking of Hebrews 11, uh, where it says that without faith, it's impossible to please God. We believe, we believe all of these great things that we just confessed together. This morning, we're going to be continuing to see the importance of belief. Um, we're going to see the source of belief. Where does belief uh, come from? Last week, we saw Jesus continuing to teach his disciples about who God is. John one eighteen says this, that no one has ever seen God, but the one and only God who is only begotten from the Father, he has made him known. Jesus came to earth in order to help us understand more about who God is, that we could see God in the flesh. We know that we're supposed to be kind and loving and patient, and Jesus came living that out. The character of God lived out in the flesh. Jesus was making God known. That's what we saw last week as we started uh, to look at the, uh, the miracle of what was happening on the boat. Jesus was teaching people. They were hungry. They needed food. And so we saw the miracle of Jesus providing food for 5,000 people. After that, he sent the disciples away. They were caught up in a storm. Jesus met them there in the water. Last week, we were able to learn that God is a God who sees. He saw them in their time of need. We saw that God is a God of compassion, that he went out to them. We were reminded from Hebrews 4 that God is a God who sympathizes with us in our weakness. We saw that God is a God who cares. We saw that he is omnipotent and wise and loving, that he's never late, that what he does is the best, and that what he does is always right. Last week, we saw that rest is found in the presence of Jesus. Um, Last week, we saw that there is freedom from fear. We saw that that freedom from fear comes as we believe his promises, and he's given us a lot of promises. I asked you to think of a promise that has been an encouragement to you and to share that with somebody else. I hope that you were able to do that. If not, maybe do that this week. We need to know the promises of God, but not just know them but we need to believe the promises of God. They need to be united in our hearts by faith. We were reminded last week that when we trust Jesus, we can have the assurance of eternal life, that we can be with with him in his presence um, forever. Last week was about him seeing us. This week is about us seeing him. We're going to see that Jesus is full of grace, not just second chances, but grace. That he gives undeserving and rebellious people an opportunity to be saved through belief. We believe, we believe we were just singing that that is the means for us to receive salvation, forgiveness of our sins and the promise of eternal life. When we believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the son of the living God, we're going to start this morning in Mark six. So please join me there. Mark six. I want to read uh, verses 47 through 52. Mark 6. Mark 6, 47 through 52. When the evening, when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea and he was alone on the land. 
and seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost, and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped. And they were utterly astonished, for they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. This morning we're going to continue to give our attention to this miracle of the loaves, lest we fall into the same evil that happened to the disciples. It was a big deal, this last statement, that their hearts were hardened. John, thank you for praying this morning and praying He didn't know that we were talking about hard hearts this morning, but he prayed that the Lord would soften our hearts. Praise the Lord that he does that. He's that the Lord was already getting us to think about that. Lord, would you soften our hearts? The miracle on the water, this was a pivotal moment in Jesus's ministry because it highlighted the need for spiritual enlightenment, spiritual discernment, spiritual illumination. Paul prays for the church at Ephesus in Ephesians 1.18. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That it's possible to see without really seeing. That it's possible to, to perceive something but not understand something. That we need the Lord to come and help us to see things his way, to see things through the eyes of faith. It's possible to see great miracles and to miss the great Messiah, and we don't want to do that um, this morning. This is what the disciples were teetering on the brink of, of missing the great Messiah, if it wasn't for the Lord's continued grace. Do you see this harsh indictment? Verse 52. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. They had seen a ghost. They couldn't imagine that Jesus was all of those things that we saw last week in him, that he loved them and cared for them and was, was wise. They couldn't imagine that. Their hearts were hardened. The heart is the center of all of our spiritual activity. We're not talking about the boom, boom, boom heart. We're talking about our hearts. The place where we get to see where Our worship is. We're all worshipers. But do we worship the one who's worthy? Jesus is worthy. He is. Do we worship the one who's worthy? Do we worship a lesser thing, a created thing? The heart shows what we really love when there's no pretext or masks or facade, when it's just kind of us and the quietness of our own hearts. What do we love? What do we value more than anything else? There's some dangers of a hardened heart. They can dull a person's ability to see, hear, understand, or remember spiritual blessings. We become very short-sighted. We have a short memory of what the Lord has done for us. We don't want to be dull. Hard hearts make us unresponsive to the Lord. Hard hearts can make us uninterested in godliness. We've got other things on our mind, other things on our plates, other things that we need to be taking care of. Godliness kind of falls to the side. Hard hearts can make us focused on self, whether that be self-exaltation, self-preservation, self-pity, focuses on the inside. Hard hearts care more about the things of the world than the things of God. Hard hearts are inclined to natural thinking, seeing things in a temporary way, 
as opposed to spiritual thinking, understanding that there's something bigger happening in the world around us, that there's more than just what we can see, hear, touch, but that there's a whole other thing that God is doing where he's working behind the scenes in people's lives, that he values faith. Hard hearts don't trust God. And that's exactly what we see in the disciples. They had seen the power of God and the miracle of the loaves. Because remember, all of this is happening as a result of the miracle of the loaves. They had seen the power of God and the miracle of the loaves, but they hadn't seen the glory of God in the face of Christ. The misunderstanding that the disciples had about the kind of kingdom that Jesus was going to bring can't be overstated. It was the context of this early ministry that there is deep physical and political oppression. There was an insipid religion that was running rampant in the ancient Near East in the form of this Judaism that didn't reflect at all the God of the Old Testament. People were hardened to the things of the Spirit of God because of what was going on. And the disciples, they were unable to gain insight from the miracle. They didn't understand what the loaves were revealing. They didn't understand its meaning because they had this preconceived idea of what Jesus was going to do. They had predetermined in their hearts what, what they needed from a Savior, from a Messiah. And so when he came doing something else, they, they, they couldn't see it. But praise God that he, doesn't, that he didn't leave them in that place. Praise God that he doesn't leave us in that place of immature misunderstanding of who he is and his ways. Praise God that he doesn't leave us as slaves to sin. Praise God that he sovereignly changes hearts. He loves in spite of our rebellion. He's a God who's full of grace. What we have here in Mark 6 isn't the whole story. So now go to Matthew 14. Please, in your Bibles, Matthew 14 is also going to be here on the screen if you want to read along. Matthew 14, and I want to read verses 24 through 33. Matthew 14, 24 through 33. You'll see some similarities, but you'll also see some differences in Matthew's account. The boat was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, it's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. That part's the same. Verse 28, then Peter said to him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come out to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind stopped. And those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. This isn't a contradictory uh, description of the events that happened that day on the boat. This is a complimentary description of what happened that day on the boats. This isn't a different version of the story, but this is a fuller version of the story. This is the same story, but from a different perspective. Mark didn't include 
the middle of the story where Peter walks on the water. Mark didn't include the end of the story where we get to see the disciples' response, but praise God that we have it from Matthew. And so when we take the, the Mark story and the Matthew story together, we have the full story. And not only that, but the John story is there as well, if you wanted to look at that later. In his grace, Jesus gives them another opportunity to perceive uh, not just his power, but his person. They had failed to gain they had failed to gain insight from the incident of the loaves. That's the, the, the indictment that, that Mark listed there. They failed to gain insight from the incident of the loaves. But do you see what happens here? They do gain insight from the incident on the boat. Here we have some additional details. Peter gets to do this amazing thing. He gets to walk on the water. He had faith. He does walk on water. Seemingly impossible things are possible with God. It's a, it's a neat story. It's a fun story, but it's more than that. This is a foundational story because think about all the impossible things that these disciples are going to be called to do as they go to start the early church, as they write the scripture, as they go into unknown situations, as they go into to things that could be t- potentially fear-inducing. They've seen God do the impossible. This is something that they, they've seen God handle. They're all of these things that these disciples are going to do in the future grow out of this one moment where they have a little bit of faith. And God grows that faith. They didn't have that faith 10 minutes before. They were scared. They were seeing ghosts. But Jesus softens their hardened hearts. And we get to see it. This is, this is the moment when that happens. Right here. Peter's beginning to see with more than just his physical, physical eyes. He goes out there. He got to walk on water. It was short-lived. Fear crept back in. His heart still able to be hardened. But Jesus doesn't let him sink. He reaches down and he saves him. And they get into the boat. And then there's that great statement, 1433. And those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, you are certainly God's son. This is where faith begins. For these men, that God is using the, the miracles that are happening here, the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus walking on the water, Peter walking on the water, the calming of the storm, that God is using all of those things with this goal in mind that to open their eyes to see that he is, Jesus is the son of God. This is the confession that is going to change their lives. This is the first time they're said to call him that. This is also the first time that we see the disciples worship Jesus. He had always been worthy of worship. The fact that they didn't worship him before didn't make him less worthy of worship. Is he worthy? He is. We were just singing that, proclaiming that again. But he didn't need their worship. There's this great statement in um, John 13. Uh, it says that Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, took off his garments, wrapped himself with a towel, took out a basin, and washed the disciples' feet. He knew exactly who he was. He didn't need them to be like, oh, you're God. He was God. He was confident in that. He was confident in his servant role. He was confident in the fact that he was going to be a humble king. He didn't need their worship. They're the ones that needed to worship. An absence of right worship is idolatry. And their failure to worship They were worshiping other things. We were created in the image of God. We were created to know him. We were created for worship. But when hearts are hard, they worship lesser things. We're the ones that need right worship. In right worship, the roles are clear. You're God, I'm not. What you have for me 
is best, whether that's walking on the water or whether that's going through the storm. God, I trust you. The heart matters. Worship is our response to God for who he is and what he's done expressed in the things that we say about him and the things that we do for him. Worship is found in a soft heart and it responds to Jesus as he deserves. I'm so glad that we have this part of the story, but I was, I was curious and, and thinking about why did Mark leave that part out? You know, why did Mark end with the bad part that their hearts were hardened? And uh, we've talked about how Mark likely received his gospel from Peter. Um, and I think Peter was sensitive to the dangers of a hardened heart because he had experienced so much of that. You know, that unwillingness to believe. And in Mark 6.14, even after the resurrection, Mark records that Jesus reproached the disciples for their unbelief and hardness of heart. So Mark, again, kind of calls out this danger of having a hard heart. That was Mark 6.14. You know, sometimes there's this like the fun, I guess it's fun, question. If you could give advice to your younger self, what would it be? Have you ever thought about that? What lessons have you learned that you would go back and share, you know, with your younger self? What, what choices would you do different? We don't get to have that opportunity, obviously. But do you know what we can do is we get to have influence on the next generation. So many of you are, are teachers here where you take the lessons that you've learned, that the, that the Lord has taught you about who he is and about what it means to walk in faith, and you share those with the next generation. We do that as parents. Don't we? So many of the lessons that Asher has to sit through and learn are because there's things that I experienced, poor choices that I made, situations that I didn't, I shouldn't have been in that I've learned from. And I'm like, Oh no, no, we're not doing that. Not naive anymore. I was, I was foolish, but I've learned from it. So I'm going to do my best to help you avoid that trap. I think Peter had some of that, you know, that he, he saw that he had this tendency to fall into unbelief, this constant back and forth. And so he left a clear warning through Mark's gospel to not be hard-hearted, to beware, to beware of the tendency to think physically and not spiritually. The, the apostles struggled with it. They failed to gain insight from the incident of the loaves, and, and Peter and Mark, they're not okay with that. What incidents have you failed to gain insight from? What's the counterpart in your life? There's a, uh, an old hymn, John Newton wrote it in 1803. It's called, Be Gone Unbelief, My Savior is Near. And this is the, the line from the hymn. It says, his love, in time ba- his love in time past forbids me to think. He'll leave me at last in trouble to sink. Each sweet Ebenezer I have in review confirms his good pleasure to help me quite through each sweet Ebenezer I have in review. An Ebenezer stone was something that the Israelites erected as a reminder for them that God had blessed them. Our Savior's been near. He has blessed us. Have we failed to consider the incident of the loaves, the the great miracles that he's worked in our lives? Have we gained insight from them? Have we failed to consider the infinite of this, the incident of the storm? You know, those difficult moments that we have gone through, both miracles and storms provide opportunities for us to gain insight. Maybe there's the insight of you having the incident of you having more than enough. A lot of us are going through that incident right now. We've got more than enough. Praise God. 
Maybe some of you right now are going through the incident of not being able to make ends meet. Maybe that's the incident that you're in right now. Praise God. Maybe it's the incident of the new job. Maybe it's the incident of the lost job. Maybe it's the incident of the safe drive. Did we, did we all go through that incident today? Do we have a safe drive in? Praise, praise God. Maybe it's the incident of the accident. The incident of the good day, the incident of the bad day. All of these are opportunities for us to respond to God in worship, to gain insight into who he is, what his character is, what he wants from us. We don't get to choose what it is, but God, the omnipotent God, gets to decide for us what our days are like. Let's continue to respond in him. He is at work in our life through all of these incidents to grow our faith. Um, here's Philippians 1.6. You can see it on the screen. It's one of my favorite verses. It's hard to have a favorite verse. This is one of them. I'm confident of this. Paul was confident that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. That We can believe that God is at work to grow our faith, to not leave us hard-hearted, but to make us followers of him. The disciples weren't the only ones to miss the incident of the loaves. Thank you, Bill, for reading massive 50 verses. Dan says, whoo, that was heavy after we got done reading it. It was, but there wasn't a good place to stop. I I thought about it. I was going to edit it, maybe try to chop it up a little bit, but it it was too important because what happens in John 6 is the summary, the doctrinal significance of, of everything that's happened these past few days. It started with the incident of the loaves carried on to the incident of the boat. And now we're here in the synagogue in Capernaum and Jesus is summing all of this up. There are a lot of people who reaped the physical blessing of the miracle of the loaves, but they missed the spiritual blessing. And I wanted to highlight a few verses. The next day in Capernaum, the people who ate the bread, they found Jesus, but he confronts their hard hearts. They had hard hearts as well. They were only thinking about physical things, about physical bread, and he challenges them to think about eternal things. A couple of verses, verse 27, Jesus says, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that brings eternal life. Their response is, great, sure, that, that sounds good. What do we have to do? It reminds me of the story of the woman in the well in John 4. That's something you can look at later. You know, sure, what do we have to do? And then Jesus says in verse 29, this is the work of God. To believe in the one that he has sent. The work is faith. The labor is faith. The labor is to stop working and to trust him. He's standing there as the bread of life, freely offering to give himself to you. We aren't saved by our good works, we're saved by Jesus. And our standing before God is preserved by his grace right now. We can't be good enough to earn salvation. We can't be bad enough to lose salvation. And we can't be good enough to keep it. Everything is grace. Everything is focused on Jesus. We stand in grace. Romans 5, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God. We stand in, we stand in grace. We never get past our need for grace. We stand in, in grace believing that his righteousness covers all of our sins. And that he's going to raise us up with him on the last day. And so these people say they want bread, but they don't want Jesus. They're unwilling to see him. Do you see what they saw? They're very specific. They're like, oh no, it's just the son of Joseph. The disciples on the boat saw the son of God. The people here in the synagogue, they don't see him that way. All they see is the son of Joseph. They didn't see anything special in him. And so Jesus is going to declare how special he is in verse 56. He says, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. This is what we celebrate when we participate in the Lord's Supper, a reminder that we've been united with him in his death and that we have the promise of eternal life. But it was too much for those people. He was just a man. Why are they going to commit themselves to him? Why would they commit to something that intense? Why would they believe him, receive him, eat his flesh, drink his blood? What? No, they didn't want to identify with him in that way. They didn't see his fullness. They didn't see the son of God. Their hearts were hardened. But Jesus tells them there's hope. There is hope for people who have hard hearts. Verse 63, the spirit gives life and my words are spirit and life. Jesus is saying that my words give life to your spirit, which was dead and enable it to come. My words display who I am and my work on the cross and the spirit through the word illuminates the heart so that we can see Jesus as he truly is and see him as more precious than anything else. Jesus makes himself the crux of this moment. Do you believe in me? Will you receive me? And a lot of them left. They were unwilling to believe. They were attracted by the miracle, but they were repelled by the Savior. When it came down to it, they didn't want anything to do with him. So Jesus asked the 12 if they're going to leave also. Everybody's leaving. It's the thing to do. Are you going to go too? What was their response going to be to these things that Jesus was teaching about who he was and the necessity of belief? Peter speaks up. Jesus says, are you leaving? Peter speaks up. It confirms what the Lord has begun in his heart. He says, to whom shall we go? Are you going to leave also? Peter says, to whom shall we go? It's like in that moment he realizes that, that, that there is nothing else. There is nothing better. He's saying we've thought about all the other options you know, we've considered it. We've pondered what it would be like to walk away. It was probably an easy thing to do, to be there when it was convenient and, e- and good, and then to walk away when things got a little weird. And the disciples have been thinking about it. Is this really what we want? And they're like, yeah. You know, whatever, whatever we look for, another way, another philosophy, another religion, another, another Lord, another view of God, another meaning of life, it all falls short. Nothing else can satisfy the hunger of the soul. Nothing else can do for us, Jesus, what you can. We can't walk away, and Peter says this, you have the words of life. He had heard and understood. Jesus has said, the Spirit brings life. 
And here Peter's confirming that work that God began to do in their hearts. And then he ends with this. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. That's a summary title. If you look at uh, the original language, it's Christ, the Son of the living God. We have believed and have come to know that you are Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. We believe and we're sure. Look at the order. Carnal people have to be sure in order to believe. But what God's work is different than, than, than what humans expect, than human philosophy. Peter believes, and because he believes, he's sure. Assurance and confidence and knowledge and understanding, those are all the fruit of believing. That's why God values faith so much. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. The spirit was at work. The spirit is still at work. A couple of takeaways as we close. Second chances begin with salvation. God's grace is demonstrated for us first in salvation. We're saved by grace. Those of us who have been saved, we need to humble ourselves and thank Jesus for what he's done for us, for the free gift that we didn't deserve. And now having been saved, let's commit to be witnesses of God's work to help other people see God's grace. Let's testify about his grace. God's grace continues in sanctification. It begins in salvation. It continues in sanctification. Peter still had a lot of growing to do, but he stood in grace. Peter's story wasn't over. It's not like he had it all figured out. The the fact that he took his eyes off of Jesus while walking on the water immediately after having the faith to go and do that showed the kind of back and forth that we have the tendency of doing. But the Lord's desire is that our back and forth, our double-mindedness, our lack of faith would be less and less as we continue to be conformed in his image as he continues to change our heart. We make plans. We have goals. Let's pursue godliness with as much effort as we pursue other activities. And let's prayerfully consider the events of our day and pray for insight into what the Lord is doing. This would be a good habit for us to have. Lord, these aren't just random moments. These are moments that you've ordained for me. What are you trying to teach me about these moments? If you look back at at your life with some sense of disappointment, and you're like, man, I have not gained any insight from these moments. These are missed opportunities. Don't continue to give Satan the victory, but praise the Lord for his grace and commit to gaining insight from it now. Nothing's wasted. Take that opportunity that you missed and say, Lord, help me to not miss that again. Be confident in who you are in Christ. Let's worship him. He deserves it. We need it. He deserves it, and we need it to put our hearts right. You know, with the Lord, we can do the impossible if he has something for us. If God's desire is for you to do something that just seems like it's too much for you, you can do it by faith in his power. If it's to stand out, to speak up, to go, to serve, to give, to be obedient, whatever it is that the Lord's calling you to do, if you, can't, if you feel like you can't do it, You can in his power. Believe that he's in it and he's with you. And then last, I just wanted to uh, remind us that we've all had hardened hearts. And so let's be patient with people who are lost and deceived. People who are blind. Let's be patient. Let's be full of grace. Having received the grace of the Lord, let's be full of grace with other people. Let's pray that the spirit will work in people's lives to open their eyes to see the goodness of God. Jesus was planning to die. He came to die. He came to live a perfect life, to die for sinners, to give them the hope of eternal life. The word became flesh 
so that he could offer his flesh for us so that we who believe in him can be with him forever. This is John 1.14. It says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we started this service praying that you would soften our hearts, and we pray that you would continue to soften our, art, our, soften our hearts. Would you open our eyes so that we can see and respond to you as you deserve? Would we lay down our lives for you, Jesus? Would you humble us? We ask that you would make us more like you. Would you shape us in godliness? Would you give us, Lord, insight into these moments so that we can see who you are and what you're doing? And we would, would we respond to you in worship? Jesus, you alone satisfy, and we thank you for giving us more that we need. Spirit, I pray that you would continue to change people's hearts, that you would lead people to repentance, that you would use us to share your word, and that you would use your word uh, to bring the dead to life. We pray that many people would come to faith in you, Lord Jesus, because of our witness and testimony about your great grace. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.